my soul, man. I hope you're awake by now. That's what the Lord wants to do is breathe the breath of life into dry bones. I want to say happy Mother's Day uh, to you today. We're so glad that you decided to spend a part of your day with us. If you're a guest here, we want you to feel welcome and at home. Uh, I hope you got a handout if this is your first time here. Man, and on the back side, there, there's a place where you can give us an offering of information a little bit later in the service. I would encourage you to do that. But we're so glad that you're here. Man, it was kind of funny when I was watching folks as they, as they walked in, especially those who normally sit in the center section, and they walked in, they're like, you know, I couldn't quite know what to do, but uh, uh, we like to shake things up a little bit every once in a while. But we're just so glad that you're here. And we want to go to the Lord in prayer this morning and just ask Him to, to do just what we sang about and, and just to awake our soul and to breathe the breath of life into dry bones. Would, would you join me as we do that this morning? Father, it's in Jesus' name that, that we thank You that we may have come in here today and, and just we may have come in here feeling like a, a dry bone that's just been abandoned or, or, or abused even, Lord. But today what you want to do is you want to breathe uh, the breath of life into us and just awaken our soul. And, and Lord, that's what we ask you to do today. And so, Father, we just pray that today, uh, Lord, that you would be glorified. Father, I just want to thank you. Man, this day that, that we've set aside to honor uh, motherhood, Lord, and God, I just pray blessings upon our mothers today, Lord, uh, and we just thank you so much for uh, for, for all that they are and, and all that they do, and, and so Lord, just today, be glorified in, in our life, be glorified in the life of our church, Lord, be, be glorified uh, in this service, Lord, that, that we offer to you, it's in Jesus' name that we pray,
process of, of ramping up for our summer missions and uh, it, it's we, we call it chasers because man we're just out chasing souls for, for Jesus and uh, this morning we're going to hear uh, from one of our one of our summer missionaries from last year uh, he's going to be talking about uh, some of the things that the Lord uh, uh, did in his life and so uh, as we're as we're moving uh, forward to that just a, a few short weeks we'll be kicking that off and so uh, you be in prayer for that and and you may not be uh, where you could actually go out every day but 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 there are many places where you can hold the ropes for those who are going out and so uh, we're going to hear from from Cortland Bell uh, and and uh, how God used him last year and uh, what we're looking forward to uh, this year so uh, give him your attention please Hi everyone, I'm Cortland Bell. I'm a member here at Family of Grace Church. And this past summer, I teamed up with KT and Katie, um, and we claimed the name as Chasers, which we were so chasing the whole summer. And um, the ministry was very different for all of us. We were behind the church at Enterprise Park, and we also went over to Bringhurst Park and. It was simply just so reaching for younger kids in, in the inner city who don't have that guidance, who don't have that type of leadership in their lives that leads them to the cross ultimately. And um, that's all we did. We met them exactly where they were at and shared the good love of Jesus Christ with them. And it turned out to be an amazing summer. But the highlight of my summer was I think it was not only what we did at the parks, but also the preparation of getting there. Um, we would all meet here early in the morning before we go out and we would pray, clown a little bit, organize and do things like that. That's why I lacked that coming into this. I'm, I'm not an organized person. I'm kind of one of the people that just go out and just do stuff. But the organization part of this summer program was, I think the highlight to me along with building our relationships with um, various kids in the neighborhoods. The main thing I took away from this summer was no matter where you're from, no matter where you, where you have been, God is willing to use you and God's willing to use you in a way to help someone else out and being a a kid from an inner city and being that I went through some of the things that those kids are going through now it was a lot easier for me to relate to those kids and it was a lot easier for me to minister to them because I've been in their shoes before and through my experiences in life I was able to reach out and show them that there is a way and there is a God who cares and loves for you more than anything on this world. For anybody who's willing to support the Chasers ministry here at Family of Grace, I would tell you it's a go. We can look around our 
congregation now and there probably will be a kid or some kids sitting in our chairs now who was a part of that summer program. It's simply something that allows college kids to go out and reach our community. And um, As a church, we're a church that is a little bit outside the box and we have this go mentality and that's what chasers do. We just go out and we reach the community. And it's not for us, it's not even for family of grace, it's all for the glory of God. And you can trust it and believe it because of the people at this church, the prayers. I mean, it's so many different reasons why this is a good thing to invest in. And I would encourage anyone. It's something that you really can't put into words, the impact that something like this can have on not only a, a city, but the whole world. Because you're planting seeds, you're planting seeds, and they're just going off and going everywhere.
guys can have a seat. Um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture. It's from 2 Kings um, chapter 4. And it says this. Now it happened one day that when Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God, who passes by as regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to, the, to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And she said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please, send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please now run to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi then came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me, and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready, and take my staff in your hand, and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. 
So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick your son up. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out.
thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives and God for transforming us God for your great grace Lord I just pray right now that God you would would speak to our hearts and God that you would uh, give an awakening Father to us thank you for transforming us Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen you may be seated this morning Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading our hearts in worship today and uh, for what God is doing in our lives. Amen. I want you to watch this video with us, if you will, this morning. It started to happen gradually. I would walk into a room and say something, and no one would notice. It started to happen gradually. I would walk into a room and say something, and no one would notice. I would say, turn the TV down, please. And nothing would happen. About three hours, and I was ready to go. I looked over, and he was talking to a friend from work, and I walked over, and he kept right on talking. He didn't even turn toward me. That's when I started to put it together. <laughs> he can't see me. <laughs> I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Then I started to notice it more and more. I would walk my son to school, and his teacher would say, Jake, who's that with you? And my son would say, nobody. <laughs> Granted, he's just five, but nobody? One night, a group of us gathered, and we were celebrating the return of a friend from England. Janice had just taken this fabulous trip, and she was going on and on about the hotel she stayed in. And I was sitting there looking around at the other women at the table. I'd put my makeup on in the car on the way there. I had on an old dress because it was the only thing clean, and I had my unwashed hair pulled up in a banana clip, and I was feeling pretty darn pathetic. And then Janice turned to me, and she said, I brought you this. <laughs> it was a book on the great cathedrals of Europe. I didn't understand. And then I read her inscription. She wrote, With admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. You can't name the names of the people who built the great cathedrals. Over and over again, looking at these mammoth works, you scan down to find the names, and it says, Builder, unknown, unknown, unknown. They completed things not knowing that anyone would notice. There's a story about one of the builders who was carving a tiny bird inside a beam that would be covered over by a roof. And someone came up to him and said, why are you spending so much time on something no one will ever see? And it's reported that the builder replied, because God sees. They trusted that God saw everything. They gave their whole lives for a work, a mammoth work they would never see finished. They showed up day after day. Some of these cathedrals took over a hundred years to build. That was more than one working man's lifetime, day after day. 
And they made personal sacrifices for no credit. Showing up at a job they would never see finished for a building their name would never be on. One writer even goes so far as to say no great cathedrals will ever be built again because so few people are willing to sacrifice to that degree. I closed the book and it was as if I heard God say, I see you. You are not invisible to me. No sacrifice is too small for me to notice. I see every cupcake baked, every sequin sewn on, and I smile over every one. I see every tear of disappointment when things don't go the way you want them to go. But remember, you are building a great cathedral. It will not be finished in your lifetime, and sadly, you will never get to live there. But if you build it well, I will. At times, my invisibility has felt like an affliction to me. But it is not a disease that is erasing my life. It is the cure for the disease of self-centeredness. It is the antidote to my own pride. It's okay that they don't see. It's okay that they don't know. I don't want my son to tell the friend he's bringing home from college, you're not going to believe what my mom does. She gets up at four in the morning and she bakes pies and hand bakes a turkey and she presses all the linens. Even if I do all those things, I don't want him to say that. I want him to want to come home. And secondly, I want him to say to his friend, you're going to love it there. It's okay that they don't see. We don't work for them. We work for him. We sacrifice for him. They will never see, not if we do it right, not if we do it well. Let's pray that our work will stand as a monument to an even greater God. morning as we were watching this video clip so many times as mothers you know exactly what that's like to just feel like everything you're doing is being dismissed or or not much attention being paid to it and today the sad part is that it's true isn't it and you know but God has a I believe a great word for us today and you know I was thinking this morning about that passage of scripture in Proverbs 31 and you're very familiar with it you know who can find a virtuous wife she is far more precious than jewels the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good and not evil all the days of her life. And, of course, that text goes on and on. to Talk about the, the Proverbs woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. And I thought today how many sermons there would be about that 31 woman. And Proverbs 31, man, it takes you over that chapter 31 at about a 30,000-foot view where you're just catching the high spots of that 31 woman. But... Man, as I was just been preparing the last three or four weeks uh, uh, for this sermon this morning, I thought, you know, what better way, let, let's just skip the, the 30,000 foot vantage point. And let's sweep down to about 1,000 feet. And let's look at one's actions. What, not what is the characteristics of a virtuous woman, but what does one look like in action? 
And man, we found that in, in, the, in the passage of scripture that Catherine read in, in 2 Kings chapter 4, the story of the Shemanite woman. As I've been batting this sermon around for several weeks now, I, I couldn't figure out which point went first. If you look in the back of your handout there, it says her faith and her values. And I was like, well, wait a minute, Lord. Is it her faith first or her values or is it her values and her faith? And then just about the time I get settled on one, I convince myself that that's not the way it should be. And then I realize that it's both. Because take any woman, any man, or any child, and let me look at what they value, and I will tell you what they have faith in. And then let me look at any man, any woman, any child, and let me look at their faith, and what their faith is in, and I can tell you what their values are. Without looking at the other. I do not have to know anything about their values or anything about their faith. If I know about their faith, I will know their values. And if I know about their values, I will know their faith. Can I get a witness? So therefore, you can just fix it out whichever way you'd like to. But I believe this woman was a great woman of faith because she knew about the man of God. She knew about the man of God by personal, by her personal investment. Matter of fact, it starts out in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 4 and verse 8. Here's how it starts out. One day when Elisha was in this city of Shumana, she ran across this prominent woman. She was a woman today that would probably be characterized as someone who's trying to break the glass ceiling. She was someone who was a mover and shaker. She was a, a get it done type person. If you ever wanted something accomplished, you would probably call her up and say, Hey, would you chair this task for me? Would you recruit some volunteers for me? Would you find the people that I need to help this make happen? She was a, a woman of prominence, which meant not only did she get the task done, but people admired her and admonished her in the process of doing it. And so this woman of prominence ran across this man of God, and the Bible says, look at this right here, it says that she persuaded him. She persuaded him. She persuaded him to do exactly this. And so, I mean, it's like the man of God tried to resist it. Now, and then she persuaded him to come. Come and do what? Come and eat some food with me. Now, if he's probably like the typical preacher, it probably didn't take a whole lot of persuading. Oh, you know, they had that first uh, sign of uh, a spiritual humility. Oh, no, I don't want to put you out. Well, well, if you insist, I wouldn't want to offend you. Which dessert do you want? Well, I'll have one of each. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And so she persuaded him. She was a woman of faith because she knew about the man of God. She knew about the work of God. She knew about the things of God. And she knew the people of God. And because she was a woman of faith, she went back to her husband. And look at these verses right here. It says something interesting. Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. She saw Elisha's actions. She saw the characteristics of Elisha. She didn't need anybody to tell her, this is the preacher. This is the pastor. Kind of like the pastor who has to stand up and say, I'm the pastor. He's really not the pastor. And so here's what she told her husband. She says, let's make a little small room upstairs. Let's put a bed in it. A table and a chair and a lamp. Let's put a lamp there for him. And whenever he comes, he can stay there. And so the story goes on and says one day when, when he came, one day he came back. And so the man, man of God, he continued to go by and he'd always have a place to stay. 
So what we see was her faith. We know that she was with the things of God. We know that she was with the people of God. We know that she was with the work of God. But then we see her values. Her values was not, hey, uh, honey, you know, I was thinking today, uh, why don't we add on a little sunroom on the back? You know, it'd be a little quaint place. We could have our morning coffee. We could, we could have our morning rituals and those things. And it'd just be a good place for us to hang out. She didn't say, you know, could we, uh, how about we, uh, you know, how about I get some new drapery for my, my living room? How about I redo this room? No, no that, wasn't what, that wasn't where her values were. Her values were not in the things for her, but it was in the things for God. She went to her husband, she said, I want to do something for God. Now, this lady may not have been on the front lines. She may not have been a, a missionary to the Shemina, Shemina people. She may not have been one of, of leading a prominent role in any ministry, but you know what? She did what she could with what she had for the glory of God. And you know what? She was willing to use her influence to influence and attend to the needs to the one who was on the front lines. I didn't think about this till I was preaching earlier this morning, this message, but I wish I had researched the numbers. That for every man in the military who's on the front line, I guarantee you somebody a lot smarter than me has figured out how many number of people it takes to support one man on the front line. How, how many people does it take to get the supplies, the equipment, the food, the, the, the intel, and all the things that one man on the front line needs? And this woman realized that I'm a person of faith, I'm a person of value, I'm a person that loves God. I believe that I can use what I have for the glory of God to make a difference. And she did exactly that. And the man of God went by and, uh, you know, he, he, he would pass by and he would have a good hot meal and a good place to stay and a nice little place to study. Can't you just see that little room in your mind? I got it pictured just like Pat Voss would have fixed it up. Probably a little tablecloth sideways. Little lamp. Not too tall, not too sharp. Just right. Yeah, balance. And she used what she had for the glory of God. And then so this whole thing happens. The man of God passes by. You know, if it was today, he'd probably have tweeted her and said, Hey, I'll be by your neck of the woods uh, on such and such time, such and such day. Can you, can you have my place ready? And I can just about imagine that he never went in there one time and there wasn't sheets on the, on the bed, linens on the bed. That there probably wasn't a fresh a pitcher of water on the table. That the lamp wasn't trimmed and the oil wasn't in the lamp. And there probably was utensils for him to use while he was studying or praying or whatever the case may be. Because I believe it was always ready. So I don't know, maybe he just would send Gehazi ahead of him and say, Hey, tell the, tell the Shemite woman that I'm going ahead of her and I'm coming to her house. And I tell you what I believe, I believe that she was a person who, who had great value and she probably took pride in this because if she went to the effort of adding on a whole room and putting a bed and putting a table and putting a chair and putting a lamp in this room and she was willing to go the extra mile. Don't you know, I mean, she probably had this thing figured out. She did have it figured out long before Carnival ever did about turning down the sheets. Have that nice little place ready for the man of God. And yet she was doing this all on her own. Now, I'm sure she was a woman that knew how to use her, 
her persuasiveness and, and, and reluctantly the man, the, her husband, who's never mentioned much, went and probably built the, the room on the house. Can you see the excitement that day and, and in her voice and in her life and in her character when they nailed that first board on the top of that house? Can you see the reluctancy in the husband's house? Like, oh, I got fields to plow. I got grain to sow. I got crop to harvest. And here I am on another one of her projects. Yet she was persistent. And then so the story continues. And so one day, uh, uh, Elisha comes and he's like, man, I know where my bread is buttered, literally. And he's like, he's like, what can we do for her? And so he goes to the woman, the Shemanite woman, whose name's never mentioned. And he says, can I go to the commander of the army for you? Can I do something great for you? And she's like, no, can, can I go to the king for you on your behalf? I'll go to the, the, the two most powerful people in all of our region on your behalf. Not on my behalf, on your behalf. And she's like, no, no, I just live, along, live among my people. I, I don't need any presidential awards here. I'm just doing what I can with what I have for the glory of God. And so, all of a sudden, she, she, I mean, you know, Elisha's like, this woman's too good to me. I've got to do something for her. Gehazi, what can we do for her? What can we do? Well, you know, she doesn't have any children. Her husband's old. Wow, that's it. So when she comes back, he says, next year this time, I will pray and you will have a child. And in today's terms, she looks at Elisha and says, don't you mess with me. Don't you mess with me. I didn't come in here and ask for a child. I didn't come in here and ask you for one thing. I have never asked you for one thing. I've never asked you for one prayer. I've never asked you for one thing. All I have ever done is bless you. Don't you mess with me. Don't you say it so if it ain't so. And he's like, well, I'm telling you right now, this time next year you'll have a child. And so she did. And God blessed this woman. Why did he bless her? He blessed her because her values were blessable. Her motives were pure. Her motives were not of ill-gotten gain. This is what a Proverbs 31 woman looks like in action. It's not, I'm going to do A so I can get B. It's not, I'm going to do this so I can get this. It's, I'm going to do this so that I can just be a blessing. The video talked about earlier about the invisible woman. In this passage of scripture, there was actually an invisible man. This woman was actually all over the pages in this story because the story is about her. But she had a husband that, that was, a, was, was a typical husband. He was like just checked out and always about the next thing, the big thing, the big crop, the new crop, the old crop, getting ready for the new crop, getting ready for the newborn, getting ready for the new animals. It was always about the things of, in life. And the only time it's really mentioned is he's mentioned three times in this story. He's mentioned once because she mentions him and says, I want to do this. Which mentions that she, she went and, and, and had a working relationship with her husband. It was, it was that they agreed to do it together. There's a sermon in that, but that's not where my point is today, so I'll move on. And so as we move forward in the story, and all of a sudden the boy grows up and he goes out. He's not in the field with, the, with his father, but he goes out to meet his father in the field. And she has this now young, probably teenage boy who's, who's old enough now to take the journey, or a preteen, adolescent, to go take the journey to the field by himself. 
And her life has been blessed and been blessed and been blessed. And no, no telling how many times in the previous years that Elisha has passed by her house, slept under her roof, lay on her bed, uh, partaken of her meals. And she's been faithful. And God's been faithful to her. God's blessed everything she's put her hand to because he was, she was in a place that she was able to be a blessing. God honored her values. God honored her life. But God honored her faith. Her faith never wavered. And so the story goes on and he goes out there to help his dad one day or go meet his dad in the field. And all of a sudden he began to complain to his father. He said, my head, my head, my father, oh, my father. And this tells you what kind of dad it was. He says, servant, take this boy home. Go take him to his mama. I mean, I'm not making it up. Look right there. Right there. Verse 19. <laughs> Carry that boy to his mama. I mean, don't you know there was some conversation in the field that day? She's got that boy so sissified. He can't even. He's only been out here a few minutes. Well, this younger generation. What are we going to do with? You can't get an honest day's work out of this younger generation. One day's work. He, he ain't even been out here that long. He's, he's already his head already hurts. Oh my goodness, boy! You don't need aspirin. You don't need medicine. You just need to get up and go to work. Servant, take him. Take him to his mother. She take servant takes him to the mother. So she picked him up and took him. Took him to his mother, and the child sat on that mama's lap. You got that in your picture? You got that there? Sat on his lap until noon, and then he died. You say, oh, my God. Pastor, what in the world? you had a good story here, but it just went to pot all of a sudden. No, there's the reality of this story. The reality of this story is that in our life, we as believers are not exempt from adversity. We're not exempt from trials. We're not exempt from death. We're not exempt from tribulation. But I want you to know something. That God is working a work through every hurt, through every pain, through every trial in our life, no matter what's going on. And I want you to know something today. You may be a mom in this building. You may be a mom watching us on television. You may be a mom out there and you're all by yourself and you're like, I don't even have a husband at all. Today there's more children being raised by single moms than ever before. There are so many women out there who are trying to make it on their own and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn and they don't know what the next step forward is going to be. Here's where you begin. You have to ask yourself a question today, mothers. You have to ask yourself, where will my, what will my faith be in? What will my trust be in? What will my values of my life be? If your faith is in a government, if you're dependent on a government to give you money back for the children that you have or take care of you, can I just say, I don't mean to be pessimistic here, but you're going to be very disappointed. Because the government will get you high and leave you low. I mean, I know it sounds good at the beginning. But many times they'll say, I'm going to come to your rescue, and then they'll abandon you. If your faith is in a church, they will probably get you high and leave you low. There's a lot of churches that start out well, but don't finish so well. They talk a good talk, but then in the mix of the game, it becomes reality. And it becomes hard for your faith family to fulfill out all your needs. 
I'm not saying it's going to always be that way, but I'm saying that if your faith is in a group of people, people will let you down. If your faith is in your husband, you may already know he let you down. If your faith is in the husband you've not yet seen, well, I just believe one day I'm going to have me a man. I'm going to have me a man that will take care of me. I'm going to have me a man that will help my need, take care of my needs, help me in the home. Listen, then don't settle. Don't sell out for anything less. And though the vision tarry for that man, wait on it. You have to decide what will your trust be in. This woman decided a long time ago in her life she was going to put her trust in God. And she put her trust in God when things were great. And now we see that all of a sudden it did not make her exempt from adversity. It did not make her exempt from hardship. It did not make her escape, escape over the trials. I want you to know, contrary to a lot of preaching today, just because you're a blood-bought, born-again, sold-out believer, anchored to the cross of Jesus Christ and sealed with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, it does not make you immune from hardship. God does not place us inside a super bubble It says I'm just going to let you float through life And just escape all the adversities And one day you're just going to float on up to heaven No, the Bible says something like this For all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus Shall suffer Woo Boy now that's hard to get people to sign up When you put that word suffer this isn't some easy believism. This isn't some just come as you, come. it is come as you are, but it didn't stay as you are. God has something in store for you. Matter of fact, God's plan for your life is so big that it hasn't even entered into your thoughts the thing that God has in store for you. She found herself in a trial. I want you to write this down. If you're a, if you're a tweeter or a Facebooker, you got my permission to pull out your electronic gadget. And put this on there. Trials will change you. Write it down. A trial will change you. A trial will change you. No, no, no. You cannot go into a trial and not be changed. Can I get a witness? I mean, you cannot go into a trial and come out the same way you went in. You're not going to look the same. You're not going to walk the same. You're not going to live the same. The question is, you have to determine on the onset of the trial how you're going to walk through that trial. And can I just tell you today, hey, you can't make that decision in the trial. It has to be made before the trial. You have to decide in your life as a mother that I am going to live for God no matter what's going on around me. When everything's good, I'm going to live for God. As a dad, you've got to decide I'm going to live for God when everything's good. I'm going to live for God when everything's bad. If you have not declared where you are in your allegiance and your alliance to your, your God in your trial, then chances are you will be swept away in the midst of the trial. Why did we just go through the sermon series on the rebellion? Because we want you to rebel against everything that the world says you have to be and only be what God wants you to be. Because in this world that we live in that is absolutely spinning out of control, I want you to know the only people that are going to stick with the stuff is those who have already determined in their mind that though all hell assail me, I will not be moved. thing about a trial is it'll either bring you closer to God or further from him. It'll either make you bit better or bitter. I can't make that decision. I remember when I was going through one of the, the most uh, ad, ad hardest 
most difficult days of my life, I sat there and I looked my sister in the eye and I said, you know what? God has spoken to my heart and here's what I understand, that he will not judge me on the outcome of this trial, but he will only judge me on the way that I live through this trial. God's not interested in you determining the outcome. God is interested in how you serve him through the trial. And I want you to know that though all hell assail you, it doesn't matter. If God be for you, then who can be against you? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God is a majority. The trials. The trials in this passage. We see that in this passage of scripture, that trials will either make you bitter or better. They'll either make you better or worse. And here's what happened in this passage of scripture. I mean, all of a sudden, she calls her husband from the field. Now, the boy's dead, and he still hadn't made it home yet. Maybe I'm the only one who finds that interesting. She tells her servant, now, you go get my husband tell him to come home. He, her husband comes home, and, and here's what she says. She summoned her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys so that I can hurry to the man of God. And then come back. Now, I don't even know if the husband even knows he's dead yet. And so, boy, can't you see this playing out? Woman, I'm out there trying to get the harvest out of the field. And you got me coming in from the field, leaving my harvest in the field. Want to use one of my servants that's bringing in the grain, that's bringing in the money, that's bringing in our livelihood, and use one of our animals to go off on some religious venture here. And here's what he says. Why go to him today? That's how I think this conversation happened. Because he says, why? It's neither the new moon or the Sabbath. She replied, everything is all right. With a dead boy laying on her bed, the bed that she had made for the man of God in his room, shut up. She went outside. She looked her husband in the eye. And she said, oh, it is well. It is well. Why was it well? It was well because she had a peace in her life. Hey, she had a joy in her life. She had a God in her life that did not change when she walked through the moment of adversity. And what I want you to know today, the one thing that you need in your life today more than anything, moms, is a peace that passes all understanding. And you can't get that from a good parenting magazine. You can't get that from a new website. You can't get that from your husband. You can't get that from the husband that you think you want to be your husband, that's somebody else's husband that you're coveting. And you say, oh, if he was just my husband, everything would be so great. I remember my grandfather had a statement, the grass on the other side of the fence just turned brown. The green grass on the other side of the fence turned brown, the person before you. you got to know that in the midst of your life, in the midst of your trials, that you are going to stick with the stuff. You're going to walk with Jesus. You're going to hold to his unchanging hand no matter what's going on around you. She knew everything was all right because her hope was built on nothing less than an unshakable Yahweh, which meant God is with me. God is with us. And so she told that servant when, she got, the, when he, she got the animal, she looked at him and she said, now's not the day to treat me like a woman. Well, that's not what the Bible says, but it's what she meant. Because here's what she said, don't you slow down unless I tell you to. Don't you ride easy on my account 
You slow down only when I tell you to. Hurry, don't slow, don't slow the pace for me because I'm a woman. Today's not the day for me to be the refined woman. Today's not the way for me to ride properly. Today is the day that I am all out in a hot chase to the man of God to get to God. To have the intervention of God. And so the story goes on. She goes to Mount Carmel. Elisha sees her coming. Tells Gehazi, man, that's a Shemanite woman coming. That's a Shemanite. Go see what she needs. Go see what she wants. Ask her, is her husband okay? Is she okay? Is her son okay? And so he went ahead and the woman came on anyway. And when she got to Elijah, she fell down and clung to his feet. And Gehazi was like, man, woman, this is the man of God. Don't be clinging to his feet. And Elisha's like, oh, no, no, stop right there. Something's wrong and God's hidden it from her. Her soul is grieved. Her soul is in anguish. And the next thing in this story, she says, look right here. Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I ask you to ask God to bring me a son? Remember, her motives were pure. Her motives were only to serve the Lord with what she had for the glory of God. She didn't serve the Lord so she could get a son. She didn't serve, she didn't build a room on the house so that she might earn good favor and earn brownie points and then one day take all of her points and say, okay, God, I've got all these points. What can I cash them in for? And she recalls it to that man of God's attention and says, I did not ask you to bring me a son. As a matter of fact, I told you not to mess with me. If it wasn't so, don't you say it's so. I mean, she's, she's getting to the, she's where the rubber meets the road, amen? I told you don't deceive me. And he tells Gehazi, man, take my staff, go to the boy, lay it on the boy. And so Gehazi leaves and she looks at Elijah and says, you can send Gehazi if you want to, but I'm not leaving you. And so I guess Elijah's like, well, I might as well make the journey myself. And so then they start the journey. Sure enough, you, Catherine read the story. Gehazi goes, lays it on the staff, nothing happens. He comes back, tells Elijah, the boy doesn't hear, the boy doesn't speak, there's no life. And then Elisha comes and he goes in that room and he shuts the door behind him. And then he lays down on that boy and he puts his eyes to his eyes, his mouth to his mouth. He begins to pray and nothing's happening. And he keeps praying and he keeps praying. And then the boy begins to feel a little warm, and he got up, and he began to pace the floor. Now, I don't know what was happening while Elijah was pacing the floor, but I'm sure there was some heavy intercessory going on. And then he came back to that boy again, and the boy sneezed seven times, and he got up. He told Gehazi, go get the Shemanite woman. And she came back and received her son. In, your, in this passage, we see her faith, we see her values, we see her trial, but we see her victory. Death was so much greater in the Old Testament than it is for us today. Because there was no hope of the resurrection in the Old Testament. They were still looking to the cross, we're looking at it fulfilled. They were looking to the cross, we're looking from the cross. Are you with me? 
They were looking to the cross for things to come. We're looking from the cross as things fulfilled. That's why Paul told the church of Thessalonica, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, but in a moment in the twinkling of an eye we shall all be changed. This corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortality shall put on immortality, and then shall be brought to pass the saying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I mean, this mother right here was a woman who was willing to serve God when everything was good. She was willing to serve God when everything was bad. And today, she was going through the experience that many mothers have said, have uttered, I've heard a couple of mothers say this in my lifetime, a mother just ought not have to do this. A mother ought not not have to walk down this pathway. But here's what I want you to understand today, moms. That our relationship with God cannot be based upon circumstances. It has to be based upon an unshakable principle that God is in control of our life. And today I want you to understand that though death may be hard, that death may be fearsome and it may be gripping our hearts and ripping them out of us today, I want you to understand something on the authority of the Word of God that we have something to look forward to. We have a peace that passes understanding because it's not the end, but it's the beginning of something new. It's not the end of a journey, but it's the beginning of one. And today I want you to know that sometimes God chooses to raise people up off of their deathbed. And I am a walking example of that. That they didn't think I would live, but God said, wait a minute, I want to pick this boy up. And sometimes God raises young boys up off of their deathbed, young girls up off of their deathbed. And they walk further through life. And they do more through life. And sometimes God just says, you know what, today it's closer to my house than it is yours. And sometimes God brings that healing through death. But I want you to understand something. That even through death comes victory. Even through death comes victory. And today my brothers and sisters in Christ. What I want you to understand. Is this woman said three times it is well. When Gehazi got to her. And she's like I'm on, he's on, I'm on an assignment from the chief of Elisha. He says he wants to know is everything. What's wrong? And she says everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything is okay. I want you to know that today, some of you have made that long trek. Some of you have gone through divorce. You've gone through the deaths by divorce, the death by physical death. You've gone through trials. You've gone through tribulation. You may be standing by a hospital bed this week. You may be praying for God to remove cancer, to remove heart disease, to remove adversity. I don't know where you are, but here's what I want you to know. That no matter where you are today, Mama, I know where God is. You don't have to, if you, listen, wherever you are. You're never beyond the grip of His grace. You're never beyond the mercy and the grace and the, 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 the unchanging principle and hand of a holy God. Now, that doesn't make it easier to live in that moment. It doesn't make breathing easier. It doesn't make getting up in the morning easier. It doesn't make sleeping at night easier. But I'll tell you what it does make. It does make a difference. To know that you've never been abandoned. That he's not forsaken you. He's never left his sheep begging for bread. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're right there with me. 
The Bible says in that passage of Scripture in Psalms 23, the Lord is. Forget that he says he's my shepherd. It just says the Lord is. And what I want you to know is that the Lord is is all you need to know. It is enough. Can I get a witness this morning? The fact that God is an ever-present help in your time of need, that God is a fortress that you can run to, that he is a strong tower, that he will not abandon you. I want you to know that God wants you to be steadfast, to be unmovable, to be unshakable, and to always be abounding in the work of the Lord is what it says in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 15 at the close of that chapter but not because of what Paul was able to say that at the end of Corinthians by what Christ revealed to him in verse 57 because he says thanks be to God who gives us our victory through Christ Jesus our Lord today God has a plan God has a plan moms I don't know where you are I don't know what affliction you're carrying. I don't know what burdens you're carrying in this place. I just want you to know that God knows where you are. I remember one of the great principles is knowing that you're not abandoned. God will bring you the victory. I remember walking through one of the deepest, darkest valleys of my life. All I could do was go through the day. And many times you couldn't pray. But the Bible says that the Lord would pray for you and through you. Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I remember there was days all I could do was walk through that day and say, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he will kindly help me never to leave me, never leave me alone. Never alone, never alone, never leave me alone. Jesus promised never to leave me alone. I can't tell you how many days in my life that's the only song I've been able to sing. I would sing that song, and I would sing that song, and I would sing that song, and I would sing that song because it was all I could do. It was my prayer. It was my cry. It was my heartfelt adoration. All I knew to do was I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. But what I am here to report today on the authority of God's word being tried and proven and accurate and fulfilled in my life. And he wants to fulfill it in your life. And if you will just tell Jesus, Jesus is enough. Jesus is the sum of all equations. Jesus is your provider. Jesus is your provision. Jesus is your help when you need him. And if you will come running to the mercy seat of Jesus, climb up in that strong tower, he will meet you there. I'm here to tell you that when all you can do is sing the song, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, if you will stick to the stop, he will bring you through. And one day you will be able to say, God, that hurt like hell. But thank you for what you taught me through. You know, we love to read the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the victory. We love to read the stories of Daniel in the lion's den. We love to read the stories. We love to read those stories of the Old Testament victors. But can I tell you 
that the only way you can ever know the God of the furnace is to be in the furnace. The only way you can ever know the God of the lion's den is to be in the lion's den. The only way that you can ever know like Jonah that when you get down to the roots of the mountain, not in a submarine, well, actually it was, I guess. The first submarine, the belly of that whale, Jonah said, I got down to the roots of the mountain running from God, trying to get away from God. I got there and he was already there waiting on me. The only way you know those things is to walk through the valley of, of despair, to walk through the moment of adversity and to be hard pressed on every side. But if you will stay at the mercy seat of Jesus, you will not be crushed. You will not be crushed. And if you are crushed, know this. That he only promoted you to something great. He only moved you from ordinary to greatness. I don't know where you are today, moms. But I have a word for you. That God's right there where you are. Maybe you're so depressed because you've been looking for, you thought government was your answer. You thought, wow, they're going to be my victory. Maybe you thought today this new man was going to be your answer. And he's already turned out to be a bozo and not a Boaz. Maybe you thought today, well, I thought if I fasted one more time that my husband would just give his heart to the Lord. Maybe you thought today, God will never forgive me because of the sin I've committed. Because of the way I've trampled on his heart and his plan and his will. Maybe you've made decisions in your life today that break the very heart of God. It may break his heart, but it will not break his will and his love for you. You're never beyond the grip of his grace. Maybe you're a mom in this building today and you've been trying to do this thing for God on your own. You're married, but you don't have a husband. All you know is all he does is complain. When you go to church. And you want to do something else for those church folks. Don't quit. Maybe you're considering throwing in the towel. Because you've been having to be the spiritual leader in your home for so long. With no help from your husband. Don't quit. Recommit yourself to God. Recommit your love for God. I want you to know the world does not have the answers for your family. God does. We live in a crazy world. I mean, last week, we looked at our sermon and we saw one man celebrated for his open stance against homosexuality. We saw that he got a call from the White House. This week, we found out that the man that we looked at last week, who was the, was the, the, the public Christian willing to take a stand, willing to take a knee, willing to bow, willing to praise for God, can't even find a job in the NFL because he's too polarizing. We live in a crazy world. Quit looking for the answer in the world. If there has ever been a time that you need to come run to the mercy seat, it's today. It's today. I believe God has placed us on a mission as a faith family to bind up the brokenhearted, to go to the single moms, the unwed mothers, the unwed fathers, the dads that are trying to raise these kids on their own and say together we can do it by the mercy and the grace of God. I believe, faith family, we can make a difference in our city. But I need you to help us. And the only way you can help us is to help yourself. And say, God, all I want is what you want. 
I'm not asking you to go to Africa. I'm not asking you to go to Peru. I'm just asking you to do what you can with what you have for the glory of God. If that's bake some cupcakes for the next event, then bake them and pray over it. If that's build a room on your house for a college student (laughs) to stay during the summer, to be the man of God, to be the woman of God, then get to building. If that's do something crazy, then do it. I mean, God doesn't make sense. I mean, he's never called me to do one thing that made sense. It, It just doesn't work out in the natural. But God has a plan. And then maybe you're here today and you're one of those dads. You just drifted in here. You've been making excuses for not serving the Lord. You've been complaining about your wife. She's been driving you crazy with that new book she's reading, the bestseller called the Bible. She filled up your DVR space with that stuff off the History Channel, the Bible, driving you crazy. Today, once you quit life, just become a man of God. Don't be an invisible man. Don't be in the field and make your wife go through the adversity all by herself. Don't be knuckleheading around saying, is it already Sunday? Why are you going to see the man of God, the people of God? For the first time in your life, stand up. Be accounted for. Make a difference for the glory of God in your home. And then we can make a difference in our city. Your head bowed this morning. Father, thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. Thank you that you're real to us. God, I just pray right now. I pray right now for our moms, Lord. I pray for our single moms, Lord, that's trying to do it on their own. God, that they would come running to you. Pray for our wives, Lord, that is about to give up on their husbands. I pray for our moms that are our single women that are about to give up on ever finding a man of God, a man of principle, a man of character. I pray, God, that this would be a revival in their spirit. And they'd come running home to you, God. I pray, Lord, for some reason you've allowed us to have a couple of moms in our service, Lord, that aren't part of our faith family, God, physically. But Lord, they're going through their first Mother's Day after losing a child. I pray for them, God. Lord, I know they've been dreading this day. I pray for your, you give your angels charge over them this day. I pray for the Holy Spirit of God to so overwhelm them that you would baptize them in waves of liquid love today. And that, God, they may only be able to hold your hand today. I just pray, God, that you would give them great grace. I pray for dads today. I pray for dads to be recommitted to their wives and these moms, Lord. I pray, God, that they would become godly men. I pray, God, that we would make a difference for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet today, the Lord spoke into your heart. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come today?
Oh, today, God loves you. God's got a plan for you. I promise he's not going to leave you. I promise you, not on my own merit, but on God's word, that he will see you through the things in your life. Won't you come? This altar is open. Won't you come right now? what your faith is in, what your values are, what do you value today, give them all to Jesus. your testimony this morning that that you've just been reborn because that's what the Lord man just as we saw in in the story today of the of the son who was dead and and who who was alive again and and because of God's son who was dead and and is alive again you can have life and you can have it more abundant and you can have it everlasting and that's what he offers you today uh, this morning just as we continue to worship, we have offering receptacles in the front if you'd like to worship the Lord by coming and giving of your offering. Uh, if, if not, uh, if you're not comfortable with that, there'll be some guys standing at the door. You can 
drop it in there. But if you're a guest today, would you would you give us the honor of giving us an offering of information? Just fill out the little tear out thing on the handout. Drop it in before you leave today. We'd appreciate that very much. Just a couple of things I want to remind you of uh, before we leave today is uh, the ladies are doing a, a Gideon study that they're doing on Sundays at 4. Uh, that will not be happening today in honor of Mother's Day. Uh, they will meet Thursday at 10 o'clock uh, uh, right here at the church. And then again next Sunday, uh, we'll kick back off at, at 4 o'clock. And so encourage you to be a part of that. Also, uh, next Sunday, a very exciting day for us. We'll be, uh, it's, our, it's what we call Biker Sunday. We do that uh, every other month or so. And uh, So uh, as I said last week, ride them if you got them. Uh, if not, you come and we'll ride you. Uh, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And we're going to follow that up with a crawfish boil and uh, just have a, a great time of fellowship and just hanging out together. Because, you know, if a church is anything, a church is a family. And, and we just like to hang out together and uh, enjoy each other's company. So just want to remind you of those things. And, and by all means, man, as, as you saw Cortland on the video, be praying for our Chasers ministry, man. Uh, God is, we're just excited. God is doing some miraculous things already uh, in that regard. And so, Pastor Brad, you, you, want, you want to mention something regarding chasers? Amen. You can be seated for just a moment if you'd like. God is uh, supernaturally already, as he said, providing for our chasers. Uh, this is our third year to do inner city ministry. Uh, first year we had two college students. Last year we had four. We realized... First year we realized we needed more, so we got four. Last year we realized four wasn't enough, so this year we, we're trying to uh, have six college students. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to say this, family, that's a big task. It's a big burden, uh, a big financial burden. You've already stepped up, provided homes for these college students. Many of you are, are taking them in for the summer. Uh, guys, these aren't college students. that they, they could go backpack across Europe. They could go do anything they want to, but these six students have said, I want to spend my, I want to invest my life in the inner city of Alexandria. And guys, more than anything, we need your prayers. We need your prayers. We're going to areas where churches have neglected it. Uh, it's too hard. It's too tough. And uh, man, I, it's my goal. I believe God placed us here to be a church that looks like our city. That, you know, I, man, and, and he's answering those prayers. He's answering those prayers. And, you know, thank you for being that kind of church. And thank you for being willing to be involved in that kind of ministry. I mean, it's, it's a huge undertaking. And thank you. Amen. Well, it's been great to be here today. Uh, Catherine? Catherine has been our go-to girl. She was a chaser last summer, and uh, um, she has been leading for worship for us for too long to count now, and she graduated last night. Let's give her a hand. She finally made it all the way through college, and you thought that day would never come. <laughs> uh, Catherine is going to go home for the summer. She's 90% sure she'll be back here this fall and uh, be part of what God's doing still in her life. You hug her neck today and let her know how proud you are of her and how much you appreciate her being here. KT, we're so proud of you. Thank you for serving and giving to our faith family for nothing in return. Amen? Alright. Well, it's been great to be here today. 
We're so excited to have you. If you're a guest, please stop by, say hello. Uh, let me meet you in the foyer. I know it's kind of crazy out there. Uh, we didn't start construction this week. Weather kind of messed us up. So we're, we're hopefully any day now we'll be getting cranked up. And so uh, be in prayer for that project. Amen. Thank you for those of you who are uh, engaged in our church time of fasting as a faith family. We're fasting for God's intervention in our city, uh, for God to make us a multicultural, multiracial church, and God would help us to impact our city, impact our city. We're not trying to grow a church. We're trying to change a city. There's a big difference. And so you pray for that. We're praying for God to raise up a new staff member. Next Sunday, the Cousins will be with us. Uh, they're moving to Memphis. It'll be their last week in town. So they'll be here. We'll send them off, pray for them next week, and give them their last Cajun meal for a while. Amen. As they're moving to Memphis. So it's been great to be here. Uh, let's stand to our feet. They're going to sing a song, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Amen. Let's sing a little bit of this.